attracted to those weird passages of Scripture that nobody else, they just sl- they slide over them and they say, yeah, that's not preaching material. That's just a challenge for me. I say, well, let's see what we can find in that. I am so glad to be here. I love Good Hope. And I love the Good Hope people. And I love our Good Hope pastoral staff. Blessings to you, pastors. Blessings to you. And to Pastor Trudell in his absence. Well, what in the world can we get from that passage? Oh, we can get something. We can get something important. Now, it won't necessarily be a great salvation message, but it's a message to the church. It's a message for you and for me. It's a message for we who have already been saved and found the Lord and are walking in Christ about how we should live. Have you noticed that there is an increasing disrespect in our society? I mean, maybe it's because I'm just getting older, but I don't think so. Because as I look around, I see, I see families are different. Churches are different. Schools are different from when I was reared. And I really don't think it's just, well, you're getting older, you just are finding more fault. No, I I really don't think so. I have to teach respect to my speech students. Now, 25 years ago, I had to teach respect to my speech students at Purdue University, but Purdue is a state university. I would expect that. But I have to teach respect to my students at Southeastern University, which is a Christian liberal arts university, And we should not have to expect that. But I go over about how when other students, I I teach speech. So uh, I teach other communication courses too. But speech is what I teach a lot of. And, And I have to teach these students who have graduated from high school That when another student is up giving their speech, they need to sit there, they need to pay attention, they need to listen, they need to put those laptops away and the cell phones away, they need to not be talking to to their neighbor, they need to be paying attention to their fellow students. I have to teach that to them. And we really shouldn't have to teach that. I, I also teach media ethics. In media ethics... We take, we take ten primary ethicists and their ethical theories, and we apply them to the media. And one of the things that we show is we show them how a, an ethical journalist or broadcaster, when doing a news story, will take into consideration all these different ethical theories and will ask questions like, how should the people in this story be treated? with respect how can I respect them even the criminals how can I respect their family members would their family members want this shown on television and and I, I, I talk about how how there's so many different 
considerations. It's not just what you, the, the journalist, want to do. When you take a picture, you have to, and, and it's going to be published, or a video, and it's going to be shown on television, you have to ask yourselves these questions. You have to consider, why am I showing this? Unless you work for the National Enquirer, it's unethical to show stuff just for sensationalism or just for ratings. So, so we teach these students how to go into journalism and broadcasting and film and other areas, how to go into it ethically. And one of the key words that comes up over and over and over again in my classes is respect. Showing respect for other people. So we want to look at that short passage that Dr. Stevens read. Let me read it to you one more time. Then he, he is Elisha. Not Elijah, Elisha. That's important. Okay, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. Then Elisha went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Now, Elisha was the, was the understudy of the great prophet Elijah. Yes, yes. And when his master was miraculously taken up, that's important, taken up into heaven, the prophetic mantle fell to Elisha, his understudy, yes, to carry on the work of turning Israel away from their idol worship that's right, that's right. back to the one and true God. And this account takes place very early in Elisha's ministry. After he has overseen just a couple of miracles, attesting to the fact that he was indeed the successor of Elijah, and he was a true prophet of the Most High God. Yet another attestation of Elisha's prophetic authority was needed, and this time not a blessing, but a judgment. Stern, quick, unrelenting. Those who despised his commission, those who despised his place, those that despised his his prophetic role in life and defied the power that was behind it, they needed to learn a terrible experience in reality. And that this judgment is at the beginning of Elisha's ministry was, was so understood, it, it appears from this circumstance that his ministry never afterwards seems to have accounted, uh, encountered active uh, oppression or opposition. Yes, yes, yes. So in other words, it did, the, it did its job. Yes, yes. It taught its lesson. Yes, Slowly had Elisha ascended those 3,000 uh, feet which lead from the low plains of Jericho to the highlands where Bethel lies. And so I want to pull this apart First, we want to look at the passage and see what we can learn about the passage. 
and then let's take it and let's see if we can't apply it to our lives today. The first of all, and notice, notice the mockers. Then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. In other words, they were calling him baldy. Yeah. Okay? They were calling him a name. Yeah. But the go up is interesting. All right, so he was climbing the last height of his journey when he encountered this, this group of young men. Now, now we, need, we need to be careful here because the, the, uh, the old King James Version... The old King James Version has small children. These were not seven and eight-year-olds. But rather, the Hebrew words used here uh, refer to young men. It's the exact same word, uh, the Hebrew expression, uh, in the case of Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7, referring to Solomon, who was about 20 years old at the time that this expression was used. So we're talking about, we're talking about teenagers, 20-year-olds. Right, these are people, these, these are not 7- and 8-year-old kids. And, and your, all of your newer translations have, have corrected that, that, that misrendering of the Hebrew. Okay. So, so, so the mockers were teenagers, older teenagers, 20, 21. They, they were young men. They had come of age. Now the mocking. Now either Elisha was actually bald... Uh, in which case, uh, now they're, they're ridiculing a physical defect that he has. I don't know if baldness is a defect, but... My fa we don't go bald. Yeah, my, my dad died at 89 years old. He still had hair. It was thin. It was thinned out some, but you know, we, we, we don't go bald. I, I've never, never had a bald relative in, in my family line. So, so, so you know, we, we don't go bald, so I, I don't know. But they were making fun. So if he was actually bald, they would have been making fun of his bald head. There's another possibility. It doesn't really change anything. It doesn't make it any better. But, but also, bald head was a synonym in those days for someone who was a leper. Because one of the things, one of the, one of the, uh, the what's, what's the word? One of the, one of the, results of leprosy uh, is that you lose your hair kind, kind of like chemotherapy you know a lot of people with chemotherapy they lose their hair okay so maybe he had been a leper and he had been healed you know we don't know what difference does it make the point is it obvious that he obviously had a bald head for one reason or another so so they were so they were they, they were making fun of him they were mocking him bald head Undoubtedly a, ter a term of reproach. And then the cry, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. Probably a reference to his master, Elijah, who had gone up to heaven. That story was spreading. They were basically saying, yeah, do what your master did. He went up to heaven. We were tired of listening to him. So you go up to heaven, baldy. Do the same thing your master did. In other words, get out of here. Yeah. We don't want you here. Right, 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 right. Now, there were some aggravating circumstances also that go along with this, and they have to be considered. 
There was dishonor to a sacred place, for one thing. They had come out from Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Beth is Hebrew for house. L-E-L is Hebrew for God. So that's why you'll find in, you'll find in the Old Testament, you'll find a lot of names that has E-L in it. Joel. You know, you know, Daniel. Okay? Lots of names that have E-L. E-L means God. So their name means something to do, something about God. Okay? So, so the name of the place is Bethel, house of God. It was one of the places <coughs> where God had recorded his name. But now, as Hosea says in chapter 10, verse 5, it was not Bethel, house of God, but rather it was Beth Avert, house of the idol. Because Bethel was one of the two places in which Israel had decided we are going to set up idol worship with a golden calf. And so in Dan and in Bethel, they set up these golden calves. And, and it was done by the king. The king did this because Israel and, and uh, it, Israel had been divided into two sep separate countries, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And Judah in the south was where the temple was. Judah in the south was where Jerusalem was. Judah in the south was where <coughs> all, of, uh, all of Israel would go to, to worship. And so, and so the, the king up here in Israel, after the country split, said, Hey, I don't want all my people going down there to Judah. They're going down to Judah. Guess what they're doing? They're spending their money. They're staying in the, in the, in the hotels in Judah. They're eating at the McDonald's in Judah. They're getting all this tax money going into Judah. That's not my country. No, we want to keep them up here. So here's what we'll do. I'll set up two places of worship up here, Dan and Bethel. And they can go, and I'll set up these golden calves. And you know, if you know the Bible, you know that the Israelites, they love those golden calves. They got history. So I'll set up these two golden calves, and they can go there, and they won't go all the way to the foreign country of Judah down there, to right. Jerusalem. Right. Right. Keep all the tax monies coming in. That's seriously what it was all about. Right. That's seriously what it was all about. Keep all that tax money coming in, the tourist money, everything. All right, we're going to keep our people in our own place, not let them go to these foreign countries. And so Bethel had become Bethavert, Hosea says house of the idol instead of house of God. So this was a sacred place that had been converted into idol worship. There's also the sacred person, Elisha. Elisha was God's prophet. And in some sense, he was the living representative of God himself for the people. He was the mouthpiece of God for the people. Yeah. He prophesied to the people. A priest represents the people up to God. A prophet represents God to the people. So he, were, he was the people's mouthpiece. He was a sacred person. He was set apart. Yeah. 
He was given the prophetic mantle that came off of his master, Elijah. He was known and he was imminent as the successor of Elijah. And probably it was on this account that he was singled out for this hostility. And then there was also dishonor, not only to a sacred place, Bethel, and a sacred person, but a sacred subject. It's not certain, but in the view of some, that in the words, go up thou bald head, there is that allusion to the recent translation of Elijah. That was a sacred time. That was a sacred event. That was a sacred subject. And, And we have lost the sacredness in much of our society. We have lost the respect. The church doesn't carry a lot of respect anymore in this society. And I can tell you, I can tell you, pastors don't carry the respect that we used to. Pastor Piggott and I have both been in the ministry for 30-some years. I know from my experience, 30 years ago, it was different than what it is today as far as respect. Now, I do know that when I wear my my, uh, Methodist clerical collar, which I I, I do wear once in a while, special occasions, I do notice that that people will get out of my way and they'll hold the door open for me and things like that. They always call me father. We've still got a little bit of it left in our society. But by and large, pastors are are presented as, as con men. Pastors are presented as, as people who want, you know, just trying to grab your money. Pastors are presented as people who want to prey on the, prey on the women of the, of the congregation. That's how the media portrays us. And that's what we are in the minds of so many. But I'll tell you what. If you count up all the pastors who have gotten rich in the ministry... For everyone you can show me that has the mansions and the limousines and the servants, for everyone you can show me, I can show you a thousand more who have given their lives, their whole lives, selflessly to the work of the ministry. And they have not gotten rich off of it. So there was dishonor. A sacred place, a sacred person, a sacred subject. So let's now continue focusing on this passage, the consequences of the sin. So he turned around and looked at them. Elisha turned around and he looked at these these 20-year-olds or late teens or whatever they were, this group of people. Now we know there were at least 42 of them. There was probably more. He turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. He did not pronounce a curse on them because they had had called him a name and he just felt, oh, you have disrespected me. No, he pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. He understood where his position was. He knew who he was. And he knew they were dishonoring Bethel. He knew they were dishonoring Bethel. Elisha, the servant of the Most High God, and he knew that they were dishonoring the memory of his master Elijah, the prophet of the Most High God. 
he pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord, and two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. So Elisha, doubtless by God's inward direction, he turns around, he pronounces this curse. And the curse was God's, not his. The way I know it was God's curse. Because immediately, these bears came out and, start, and mauled them. You see, if I stood here right now and I pronounced a curse on you, guess what? There's no bears going to come out of these back doors and going to eat you up. That's not going to happen. Just not going to happen. The fact that immediately bears showed up, that's not normal, is it? Now, the thing is, had these bears simply mauled them, they were in a wooded area as they were passing through. There were bears in the area. You know, you know what would have happened if he had not pronounced that curse on them? If he had not said it, and there were obviously some who survived to tell the story. So it doesn't say that they killed 42. It says they mauled them. It doesn't say they mauled them to death. So there were probably some survivors that were attacked. No doubt there were probably some survivors in the group that didn't get mauled at all. They were able to run away. Because, I mean, you can run away from a bear, especially if you're with someone else and you run faster than he does. That's all you got to do. You don't have to run faster than the bear. You just got to run faster than the other person with you. Because that bear will slow down while he takes care of that person, then you can get away. That's free. Yeah, just use that for what you want. Keep that in your mind, all right? Had these bears just simply attacked them, everyone would have said, oh, what a tragedy. What a calamity. It, it wouldn't have been seen as a punishment by God. It would have just been one of those things. That's just one of those things that happens. That's life. Life is dangerous. You are in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, that's why him pronouncing that curse on them, and then the bears come, it tells me that was God. God was directing this because God needed to make an impression upon that town. Don't you think that didn't make an impression? Can you, ima can you imagine the people who survived that bear attack? Can you imagine what that did to them, how often they thought about that, how they thought, all right, we made fun of the man of God, all of a sudden he curses us, and boom, this happens. His God really is real. That was the whole point. His God really is real. You know, he said, well, with this, this never happens like in the New Testament. Oh, it doesn't? What about, do you remember, do you remember that? passage about uh, who was that Ananias and Sapphira yeah. I've got just a little bit of it right here Acts chapter 5 verse 3 to 5 Peter said Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie in the Holy Spirit to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself while it remained was it not your own and after it was sold was it not in your own control how can, how, why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last, 
So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. I guarantee you great fear came upon the town of Bethel that day. When those youths came back, those that survived, those that escaped and came back and said, you will not believe what has happened. What are the causes of this disrespect? I, I think there's several causes. So we'll keep our passage in, in, in the backs of our mind. But let's focus on this whole subject of respect. Showing respect to others. The causes of disrespect, I think lack of good modeling. Good modeling. Oh, we've got plenty. We need role models in this society. No, 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 no. We need good role models. That's what we need. We've got plenty of role models, trust me. We have got lots of role models. It's just that so many of our role models are not good role models. It's the lack of good modeling. I think we couple that with lack of parenting skills. Generation after generation after generation, we're getting worse and worse and worse at parenting. We are. We can see it. We're seeing the results of it. Because no one teaches people how to parent any longer. Part, part, of, part of what's causing that is the fact that, do you remember when families used to all live together? You know, I mean, nobody really moved away. You always had this extended family, right, around. You see, I, I, I grew up in, in, in one of those families. We had a 20-room mansion. And it wasn't because we were so wealthy. It was just that we had all the families living together. You can have a 20-room mansion if you've got four families all living together under the roof, right? I mean, you can afford that. And that's what we did. Because we lived on a big, a, a huge farm and, and, and all, and so the, we had everyone lived there together. And I remember that. And, and my, my aunts, my uncles, my great aunts, my great uncles, I remember them. We were all, the, and don't you think for one moment that my great uncle or great aunt would for just one moment say, Oh, well, that child is misbehaving, but you know what? That's not my child. Oh, no, no, no. You live in that situation like that. No, you don't have mom and dad as parents. You've got the grandparents and the great uncles and the uncles. You've got them all, and they are all responsible for parenting that child. We learned respect. Lack of parenting skills. Schools. Schools don't have time to teach manners and respect anymore because that's not on the test. As someone with a doctorate in, in education and a wife in, in K-12 through education, yet standardized testing is absolutely one of the worst ideas this society has ever created. Now, we had standardized tests when I was going through school. Yeah, we had them like, like once, one test every like three years or something. It wasn't that big of a deal. But do you realize how much time is spent in the school system now preparing those kids to pass the test? Because if they don't pass, it's not the kids that suffer only. It's the teachers. 
I, I don't know where this idea ever came from, but I can't make a kid learn something. I can't. I cannot force a child to learn something. That child has a free will. That child can either learn it or not learn it, and they can decide whether they want to learn it. So don't hold me responsible if a child refuses to learn something. Now, if no one in my class learns something, okay, now we're talking. Maybe there's a problem with me and my teaching. Maybe I need to change. But that's not the way our system works. But teachers don't have time to teach things like respect. The political climate. My, I have never seen such disrespect. I know that you can go back historically and find other times when the political climate was really horrendous, before yours or, or my time, and we can read about it. But in my, in my lifetime, I've never seen us sink to such low. And don't think that is not having impact on the entire nation. Lack of respect. The mass media, again, lack of respect. What is the cure for disrespect? And that's how we want to finish this out. Well, there's two approaches. There is the radical approach. That's what we read about in our Bible passage. That was pretty radical. And that would teach people real quick. I'll bet you that those 42 that were mauled, those that survived, I'll bet you they thought twice the next time the man of God was passing through. <laughs> I'll bet you that they never said the words bald head again in their, probably in their entire life. They said, no, we're not touching that one. That's a radical approach. I'm not suggesting that radical approach, even though it's very effective, I'm sure. Then there's the routine approach, and that's, I think, what we can get behind Teaching others how to live respectfully. And, and th this is going to come to you in the form of an acrostic. The letters spell out the word live. Teaching others how to live respectfully. Live. Now you can also take that acrostic and you can reform it and it can, you, you could spell evil or vile or veil because I play with those things, you know, when I'm writing sermons. But none of that, none of that. No, we're going to go with live. How to teach others to live respectfully. Now, many acrostics will set out a step-by-step -step plan. You have to follow everything in order. This particular acrostic, you do all four at the same time. And you keep doing them at the same time. Because that's how you teach the next generation to be respectful. You can't do it in one lesson. You can't have a 15-minute talk with someone and expect them to change their entire life. It has to be continual. The first one, L, stands for learn. Learn. This requires actual lessons. I had lessons in manners when I was growing up. I had lessons in school in manners, but I had lessons in that big family that I grew up in. We learned all kinds of things. Formal lessons. I had to learn, I learned, my two brothers and I, we learned how to set a table properly. 
and we were British, so it was extremely formal. I mean, we had more knives and forks and spoons, and they had to be in the right place, and there was water glasses, and then whatever we were drinking, you know, that had glasses. Everything had to be in exactly the same place, and oh, if we got it wrong, there were plenty of adults around to tell us we got it wrong. I mean, we learned those things. We learned manners such as how to act when someone was a guest in your home and it was an adult. We learned those things. We were taught those things. There were lessons. We're going to talk to you boys about what to do. You know, my, my, my family, they were friends with some pretty important people. We had celebrities coming into our house from Hollywood. We had congressmen. We had the president of the United States at one point. Well, he, was, he became the president of the United States, but he was the vice president. We learned how to conduct ourselves around those people. We were never shooed off and said, oh, children should be seen and not heard. Oh, no, 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 no. No, we were there. We learned. They taught us how to engage in conversation until we were dismissed. I mean, we learned those things. They were, we act, people actually taught those. Our family taught those to us. And we learned it in school as well. Respect is just a part of growing up, growing up into a gentleman or into a lady. Romans chapter 13, verse 7, Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Yes. We learned that. It was ingrained in us. So you have to, you have to learn it. That's the L. The I is internalize, internalize it. That's talk and thought. There would be no racism, there would be no classism, there would be no sexism if we could just reprogram what people say to themselves in their minds. If we could reprogram how, how, how people think, then all of these problems would, would just go away. Well, I can't reprogram your mind, but you can. You can, and you can have an impact on helping other people reprogram their minds. Your thoughts come out in your talk. Yeah. Long before a person ever disrespected another person with a racial slur or a condescending word or a hateful phrase, that person thought it to themselves. And what you think will eventually come out. So we need to internalize that. The v, the v stands for view. People need to see respect modeled for them. I saw my parents model respect to some people and disrespect to other people. And don't think that I didn't take that to heart. I did. And they were wrong. They were wrong in showing that disrespect and they didn't understand, they had no clue what it was doing to the next generation. But we need to view, we need to be able to see it for ourselves. And increasingly, it's becoming harder to find those positive role models. So when you find a positive role model for your child, for your grandchild, you need to latch on to those people and make sure they're around them so they can view. And when you find someone who is modeling disrespect, you need to steer clear of them. And that goes for you as well. Amen. Respect everyone and love your Christian brothers. Fear God and respect the king, 1 Peter 
right? The last one is experience. You learn, you internalize, you view, and then experience. People need to experience firsthand what receiving respect is all about as well as giving respect. When you're raising up children, when you're teaching the next generation, and we, it's all of our responsibility. Oh, I don't have any kids. My kids are grown. My grandkids are grown. Oh, that's not my responsibility. Yes, it is. As a church, it is our responsibility because no one else is teaching it. Experience. We learn by doing and observing and experiencing respect ourselves. Our last verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 to 12, here's what the Apostle Paul says. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And so you will not be dependent on anyone. Your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. There's never been a time in my lifetime when I've witnessed such disrespect in society and even in the church at times. Civility has gone out the window. People are more polarized now than ever. People are taking sides along racial lines, political lines, uh, economic class lines. If there was ever a time for the church to stand up for decency and civility and to model that for the rest of the world, it's now. It's now. While the world is tearing itself apart and dividing and forming groups and making those groups go, go further and further away from each other, while the world is doing that, that's when the church needs to step up right now and to show unity and civility and respect for both those inside the church and outside the church for those who agree with us and show civility and respect for those who disagree with us and then the world will start taking notice because we are the hope of the world we are the light of the world 